0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Big Game Indicating Dogs live Q&A from the Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle. The Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle is a closed and private Facebook group for people who have subscribed and are following the dog Training Blueprint. And the dog Training Blueprint is a 12-part, month-by-month, 15-hour video course with everything you need to train your own deer dog or your own big game indicating dog. If you want to find out more about the deer dog training blueprint and big game indicating dogs in general, jump on and follow big game indicating dogs on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on YouTube and you can also go to biggameindicatingdogs.com, find out more there. Right. I don't even, I barely know where to start with this one, but it's cool because we've got tons of stuff to get through. Um, There's loads of questions in here on the Inner Circle. Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle is well up and running now. We're getting lots of posts and questions, and it's really cool because... um, all of you guys in the in the inner circle that have been following the blueprint for longer than others and have actually fully trained dogs, and some people are now sort of working on training their second dog. Um, oh man, I forgot to press record over here. <laughs> we're streaming live, but now we're recording as well. Um, yeah, you guys... That have been following the blueprint for a while are now answering a lot of questions for guys and girls, actually on both sides. Guys and girls that are just starting on the blueprint, and guys and girls that have been following it for a long time are now. If I if I say guys, I mean everyone. It's not like a. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Um, assuming your sex. I'm saying hi, guys, is an everyone? Um, I maybe should change that but it's too too much of a habit. Um, all the people that are following the Dare dog Training Blueprint and are now doing an awesome job of helping the new ones along in the Big Game Indicating Dogs Inner Circle. And again the Inner Circle is just like a, it's an add-on to the Blueprint, everyone that buys a Blueprint or subscribes to it gets access to the big game indicating dogs in a circle and it's a closed private facebook group where it's just this is what it's all about it's all about follow-up support and everyone helping each other to train their dogs um yeah and there's i'm just looking at a question right now paul herman asked a question about um why in the blueprint do we keep our pups from being social with other dogs humans because my boy's very friendly i find it difficult to stop him from saying hello to other dogs and everyone's jumping in and answering the questions there's like a dozen comments there good conversation answering that um paul we don't stop the dogs being social you know like right in part one i show you how i introduce print to fly like right at the start and and you know um we're going a lot more into depth and a lot more of the stuff in the Palmico dog guide but um you know, we, we do touch on it right at the start in part one because you're right, it is important, but particularly if you're training a big game indicating dog, a deer indicating dog, a stalking dog, that you want to stay close and be super controlled and all of that, uh, man, uh, and, and even in training in general, a huge amount of massive problems come from people uh, doing and using completely uncontrolled socialization and and you know this is there's some really good answers in there and they're all bang on um from from all the other trainers in the inner circle there and um yeah it basically gets covered um and then there's a couple of real classics um i think it was um where do i see Yeah, Jamie. That she's saying, I got the. It's just noise while I watched the this guy's while I watched his dog literally try and bite my pup, and that's just the classic example of it. I get it all the time too across the road um, on the beach. Out walking the dog and might be walking Miko and or Print or Fly or any and, and these other dogs, no control off leash at all, just coming flying in and aggression and attacking and um, sometimes it's just playful. But the thing is is that playful stuff can leads to all sorts of crazy stuff. Like it really does. I could talk about this one subject for two hours alone. Um but uh, man, it's such an important part. Socialization is very important, but there's a huge, gigantic, monstrous overemphasization on it in dog training in general. And everyone's like, "You just got to, You got to socialize the dog. You got to socialize it. Socialize, socialize, socialize." and and just like that's the most important thing. And it just gets completely out of hand and out of control. And man, it just causes so many problems. It's ridiculous. And and I've worked with loads of dogs that have been to puppy classes where they're massive on socialization. But it's out of control socialization, you know, and, and you've seen how... Structured I was with print and the blueprint. If you've watched the Pal Miko dog, guide you've seen how structured I have been with Miko, and my dogs are really, really, really good with other dogs, really well socialized. And when, when, and, and see, now you're talking about the subjectivity of what a word means and etymology of words and things like that, because some people say, "Oh, it's really important that your dogs well socialized." Okay. What does that mean? Is well socialised that your dog runs around like an idiot with loads of other dogs all the time? I don't actually think that's well socialised because that is what can actually bring about loads of serious, serious issues. And that out of control socialisation is where you get one dog gets a little bit overwhelmed one day and it snaps and has a go at another dog, and the other dog has a go back, and now one one of those two dogs, if not both, have this weird socialisation issue where now one, one, and it can go either way. That dog that snaps and then gets snapped at back, it can go, well, I'm going to just get in first next time. Or all, all of a sudden you've created conflict. And it can go either way. That a dog can either get aggressive through that or it can get overly submissive through that. And then anytime a dog gets unbalanced in that respect, so if it gets um, overly aggressive and it's walking around all strutting its stuff and all stiff and high and mighty everywhere, then other dogs start reacting to it. And and that, that dog that's already getting aggressive will start reacting to the reaction of the other dogs and then it they bounce backwards and forth between each other and it's an uh, uh, escalating situation and it just all gets worse and worse. And then it also happens if the dog gets submissive through running into issues through out of control quote-unquote socialisation other dogs will react to an overly submissive dog too. And then the overly submissive dog reacts to the reaction of the other dog and the other dog reacts to the reaction of the dog reacting to it. And again, you've got a bad cycle and that's why I'm so massive on controlled socialization because uncontro- out of control socializing causes so many freaking issues. It's ridiculous. It's probably, if not definitely, one of the biggest issues in sort of mainstream and overall thought and dog training today. And so, I mean, and and what is well socialized to me? Well socialized is a dog that actually knows how to act around other dogs and has control around other dogs, as well as being able to play. Well socialized isn't a dog that just wants to go flying up to into all situations and just cause God knows what to happen. There you go, sort of open with a bit of a (laughs) bit of an opening rant there. Um, we got quite a crew on today um, um, what have we got man I was about to start calling out names but I don't think I'm even got Anton, Gwen, Roma, Christian Josh, Sandy, Latham Joe, Jodie Taryn, Paul Catherine Richard, Ian, Levi, Brenton, Brad, TJ, Jonathan, Keith, David, Al, Daniel, Jacob, Philip, Luke. How's it going? Um, Okay, we've got a whole heap of comments on the post that I posted uh, Monday, I think. Um, Yeah, I said when I posted in the Inner Circle live Q&A Tuesday night. And I said, if you can't make it, ask your questions in the comments on this post. And then people can come back and watch it later or they can listen to it on the podcast. That's another point. Um, If people are watching this video and they're looking at it going, man, but it's like an hour and a half long and I've got to go do something right now. um, You can either come, obviously come back and watch it. Um, or you can also listen to the audio of these videos on the Paul Michaels Revolution podcast. Search the Paul Michaels Revolution on pretty much any podcast app, definitely all of the top ones, and we're there. And you can scroll down, look for the Big Game Indicating Dogs Q&As. They're all there. Um, There's also loads of other stuff. Uh, Martin Hemmingson in the questions. He said he may not make the broadcast, but what's people's view on neutering over six-month-old male, not sure whether to or not. Martin, I've made a free video on that. I think it's about a 10 or 15-minute video. It's funny, I actually looked for it for someone else. Yeah, so This is a question I answer so frequently that I actually made a video on it, and now instead of answering it in messages and stuff, I just send the link to that video. But I actually looked for it one time and I couldn't find it. It should be there on Facebook or YouTube, especially on Facebook and the Big Game Indicating Dogs public page. It's like, because it is, it's like a 15-minute answer. Um, but real short story, man. Well, well, here's actually probably one tip on it. I just neutered print and I'm not concerned about it whatsoever. Um, because it just doesn't have that. You'll have people say, oh, is, it, is I hope he doesn't lose his drive, bro. And stuff like that. It's, look... Maybe it could have an effect on some dogs. 95% of that stuff's bullshit. I've seen dogs, neutered dogs, have so much drive. It's, you know, and and how much drive do you need in a big game indicating dog? Yeah, you want drive, but that's a massive subject in itself too. People get all out of shape about drive and, you know, a dog. Often what people recognise as drive is actually just hyperactivity and what people recognise as a calm, quiet dog is actually a really calculated, thoughtful dog that will have lots of what I call drive in the field. But, neutering, man, just do it. And my real short answer for my take on neutering, and, and again, I could look for that video it should be there. If it's not there, I'm going to track it down and post it again. I don't know where it went. It should be there. Uh, there's no reason to definitely do it, and there's no reason to definitely not do it. It's, it's all about... If you want to do it, do it. The reason I've just got print fixed is... Uh, Miko's about to come on heat. Prince coming up three years old, Miko's about to come on heat, Prince gone through all his maturity thing, I think there, could, there, there is cases you can make for all sorts of stuff, you could say wait until the dog's nine months or a year old or something before you neuter it, let it get a bit of maturity and let all its chemicals balance out or whatever that there's no like rock solid science on it either, but then there's plenty of super healthy dogs out there doing really good stuff that were neutered really young. <clears throat> You know, um, so if you're in a situation, Martin, and you've got a six-month-old male, um, what's people's view on neutering it? A 6 months old not sure whether to or not. If you haven't got a female dog that's going to come on heat at home, so there's no real reason for you to neuter it, other than like a vet's telling you to neuter it, And and some vets, I I think, get carried away. And this is what I said in one of the big topics that I talked about in the 15-minute video that I said is it's out there somewhere. I've had vets say, oh, you really should get your dog neutered. Right at the start, uh, you can eliminate loads of health problems and these, you know, testicular cancer or... Um, And I'm just throwing shit out there, I don't know if i actually said that, but I've I've definitely had that, like the the throwing all these big words around saying I really, really should do it. And it's like, uh, uh, most of that's bullshit. Yeah, there'll be a case somewhere, and someone will comment somewhere on this, that they could have saved their dog from some horrific thing if they had done it, but I'm telling you. I could go on about it forever, but there's no massive, massive reason why you definitely should, and there's no massive, massive reason why you definitely should not. It's all about, and that's a good thing, it's a positive, because it's like, if you don't want to, you don't have to, and it's probably not going to make much difference either way. If you want to, do it, and it probably won't make much difference either way, but That's where I stand on it. I've just got print done because um, Miko's about to have her first heat at nine months old. I'm halfway through making the Pal Miko dog with her. I don't want to chopped up and laid up and all that stuff at the moment. Um, I'm not really overly interested in breeding from print. He's a really, really nice dog, but there's also no insane standout things that I'm like, I'm never going to be able to get that again. Um, I'm not into breeding at all. Um, there's loads of really, really good breeders out there that are right into it, that breed really good dogs, so I don't have to be into it. Um, if I want to get a pup, I always know I can find a good one. Um, I don't want to have to get Miko spayed at the moment, but I know she's about to have her first heat, and if that happens, while well, Prince still got his nuts and I'm going to have four weeks of a massive pain in the ass. Of having to keep them all separated and stuff. So now Prince had the snip. Um over a week ago now, another couple of days he gets his stitches out and Miko can come on heat and we can all just carry on with our lives. But if it wasn't for that and I didn't have Miko, fly is already fixed for the same reason. If it wasn't for that and I didn't have Miko and Fly was fixed, I wouldn't let anyone talk me into any crazy reason why I have to chop my dog's nuts out. Unless I really want to, so. Um, Jeff Langland, pick up my pup next weekend. You don't start using the commander disapproval till the second month. Can you use it earlier if, say, the pup won't stop yapping in its kennel? Yep, you can. Definitely um, go easy on a real young pup. You know, like that first month. And and if you do everything right, you, you shouldn't have to. You know, and that that's and, and the blueprints kind of designed that way, and particularly that first month, like we don't even do any. Um, we don't do any um, you know disciplinary sort of work in that first month of the blueprint in part one. We just um, you know linking actions to commands. We're not forcing the dog to stay sitting. Um, We're just linking sounds to actions and being very gentle with it and with the kenneling thing, um, 90% of it is just wearing the pup out so they go in there tired, um, letting them cry it out for 10 minutes or half an hour, or some people it's longer, letting them cry it out and go to sleep and then go out and let them out when they're quiet so they learn that going to them and letting them out, uh, uh, being quiet is what is going to trigger us to go to them and let them out. And we sort of do it like that. Okay, so, and and definitely in that first month with a real young pup, you're just trying to develop that bond and and be easy on it, and we sort of get more and more um, discipline as the pup gets older. I can't stress enough how young a pup is you know, in that first month. But if it's really out of hand, and we actually do it in the Palmiko dog guide in, in the first month, we do use a command of disapproval. but it's just like an up ah! and a stomp of the foot just to snap the pup out of it. Um, so to answer the question, you can do it. Um, you can do it in that first month, but just all within reason, you know? um in the last q a we talked about that a lot jeff about in the last big game indicating dogs q a it's on youtube facebook and on the big game indicating dogs pages on the paul michaels revolution podcast we talked about getting pups quiet in the kennel using water and different things if you're really getting stuck there there's a lot of really good stuff there luke gordon what do you carry in the way of first aid kits for your dog in the field? Do you take anything to induce vomiting if they've eaten poison? Also the dog backpacks, how much weight could they safely carry in it? They look really good but wouldn't want to load up my dog with stuff and stuff. I wouldn't want to load up my dog and stuff his back or anything. Okay, um, yep, quite a few, a few questions there. Luke, as far as first aid in the bush for my dogs, I um, I carry a pretty good first aid kit for myself that has um, you know pressure bandages and tape and and um, plasters and you know alcohol wipes and lots of different things like that. So so I'm basically set up to stop serious bleeding and stuff like that. Anyway. Um, so I, I and i do you know and and that's actually that's something i used to be i always carried something um actually there has been times when i've carried next to nothing even at really bad times to be carrying next to nothing like when i was working in the Euro where I was on myself trapping um things like that but uh where I really sorted my first aid kit out was when I started, uh, when I did a bit of contract work for Doc, and we had to carry it, and and some jobs, and it was actually my very first job. Um, you know, different area managers had different protocols for starting jobs and stuff. And the the very first job I did on the goat work, and the the crew told me too. The guy I was working for told me he said the the guy that's running this job that we're doing it for is going to check your day bag before you go in and you've got to have, there was a list of stuff we had to have in our day bag, and we actually all had to lay our day bags out, and this dude walked around and made sure we had it all, and it was, um, we had to have a raincoat, gloves, wa- uh, beanie, um, spare um, thermals, and, uh, and a first aid kit with a certain amount of stuff in it, and the bits of other pieces, he checked our GPS and PLB and a bit of stuff like that, but and I've been pretty good with keeping that up to date since doing that. So, and and there was, we actually had stuff that we had to carry for that goat to work too, that the guy I work for made us, you know, we basically signed up saying, yep, we, we're carrying this. And it included a proper prep- pressure bandage, proper wound pads to stop bleeding, proper tape, and all that sort of stuff. So I've got that. Um, the one other thing that's really good to have for yourself and your dog is antihistamines. And... Um, trying to think, I don't think i I may have given a dog half an antihistamine one time when it got hit by stinging needle pretty bad, it was more of a precautionary thing, the dog wasn't showing any real bad symptoms or anything but I knew it had got tagged up pretty good and it was rubbing its nose and all of that, and sneezing and I just knew it had been hit with a stinging needle pretty good um, and I just gave it half an antihistamine. You know, if you would take two yourself. I can't remember where I got it from. Someone said just give them half, half of one. So it's like a quarter dose um, of what you would give yourself. Um, And just the normal way you give a dog a pill, just put it on the tip of my finger and slit it right down the back of its throat, you know, right down the back of its tongue, and they just sort of automatically swallow it. Um, And and antihistamine is good to have if your dog gets a bee sting or stinging needle um and that's all stuff i carry for myself so as far as anything specific for the dog it's a no but i i really have everything that i would use on a dog for myself anything other than wasps stinging needle, uh or bleeding you know, and, and even those things. If it was real bad, obviously it's only stu- it's just to tie me. Those antihistamines and bandages I've got is something just to tie me over to get my dogs out of the bush um, to a vet. But having said all that, um, I've never had a dog. I've had it once. Other than I had a my old Labrador. This is way back in the day when I was probably fifteen or something. Um. I had a Labrador fall off a cliff and break her leg, but and that was spotlighting and spotlighting possums, um, and yeah, she just went in the dark, utter chaos, and I actually knew the cliff was there, and there was a, a thin a narrow, thin row of trees on the top of a cliff, and she chased a possum, um, and I used to use the dogs for retrieving possums and and grabbing possums on the ground and stuff. Um, back in the day and i sent her after this possum out in the middle of a paddock and the possum was just ran flat stick at these this narrow band of trees on top of a cliff and i saw it coming from a mile away and uh i did she just hit this and it was only like two feet thick and there was a big drop and she just hit that two foot thick strip of trees at full pace going like aiming to run straight through them to chase the possum through but she just went flying straight off the cliff and broke her front leg um and i had to carry her out but we were just on a farm you know so it was like carry her 20 meters back to the truck and go but other than that um all the years um You know, working with dogs in the bush, especially indicating dogs, because they're not chasing stuff around, they're not attacking stuff, they're not running through the bush, ripping pads and breaking legs and getting smashed up by animals and things. Um, I've never had any problems. Um, i probably had a couple of times with wasps when the dogs got stung up a bit. I can think of um, twice. And again, it's both back in the day when I was sort of mid to late teens. Um, over the last sort of 10 years or more, um, I just haven't had many problems, man. And um, and you don't tend to either, you know, with a really well-trained, big game indicating dog that's calm and controlled and staying close and listening and watching. And, and if you're stalking, you don't tend to be crashing around like an idiot, idiot yourself you're very open and aware you know that you know these days um touch wood literally touching the wooden table in front of me um i haven't even been blimmin tagged by wasps myself you know because you're quietly sneaking through and you sort of see oh shit there's a whole heap of wasps coming in and out of that bank so you just quietly turn around and sneak away you know um but yeah anyway i'm sort of waffling on that but um um, I have that first aid kit on my own and, and that's it um, and on the dog packs, Luke it's a good question that actually I've got those little dog packs they're actually like a vest they're just a vest, light fleece vest that has pockets on the side and we've sort of made them up ourselves because I couldn't really find anything that was set up the way I wanted it um and on the weight thing, and that's something I've, I've sort of looked into quite a bit starting right back. Um, well, come probably come up eight or ten years ago now when I was doing possums. Um, and I sort of was got interested in pack dogs, and I was, I was starting to think about like using a couple of big dogs to carry stuff. They do it in other countries, it's actually a sport in some countries using pack dogs. Um, in some countries, the first I saw of it was in Mongolia. Uh, it was an article in a, ma- in a New Zealand hunting magazine about a Kiwi guy that went to Mongolia hunting elk. And and in Mongolia, you know, it, it, it there's a lot of snow in places there at sometimes a year, and they use these big. It's actually called a Mongolian pack Dog, and it's it's a very very rare breed of dog. And I was actually trying to work out. I was like, man, I want to, I want, I wanted one. It was a ridiculous idea looking back, but um, I'm pretty good at having ridiculous ideas sometimes. And I, I was thinking, man, if doing possums, I was like, if I had like a couple of those big dogs the way they're using them, it'd be awesome. And and um, how big was this thing? These dogs were, I think they were like got as big as fifty kilos or more. And. Uh, a good rule for a, a good a proper trained pack dog, and it's not something you just like throw a big pack on and load it up, but it's actually they'll it's a thing. They train it over time, like when they're doing proper pack dog work. Um like I said, it's actually a sport in some countries, and they like do little events and stuff. And right from a pup they're putting a light little pack on and getting the pup used to having something on its back and getting it used to coming in and taking stuff in and out of the pockets and um, walking around with a thing on its back and then as it sort of reaches a year or whatever you know it's sort of getting that structural maturity they start uh, gradually putting more weight on it so the dogs and they're strengthening the dog up and they walk it on a treadmill and do all sorts of walking with it and get it fit and strong and ease it into it and turn it into like an athlete that's been trained to carry it. When you do that properly, they talk about those dogs will carry 30% of their body weight, which is quite a bit when it's, um, well, if it's a 30 kilo dog, that's a, a, about um, 10 kgs, isn't it? Um, or thereabouts, just under. Which is a lot of weight. Um my dogs, so Prince I think he's about twenty-five kilos. Probably the most I put on him would be maybe four kilos sometimes. Only for like short bursts. And and but his if Prince say twenty-five kilos, most the most I would expect him to carry like all day and even then this is only some days because that's only while we're walking into a spot and then you know I'll have my pack on which is 15 kilos or whatever and then I get to camp set up dump all my junk and then I'm day hunting with a lighter pack usually and and but to walk into a base um, the most print will carry for long periods would would only be about even a couple of kilos. Um, it's just like his chain, a bit of dog food, and that's about it really. Um, And and I mainly set them up so going in for a week or 10 days, um, backpack trips, taking the dogs, and by the time I had their chain and a little tarp and um, a week's food for two dogs and all of that, I was actually getting quite a, a good lump of gear for me to carry in. And then I also had the issue of like what were the dogs going to sleep on or in Or and, and I had all of that. Um, and those little vests we made up sort of solve all those problems. It's a coat for them to sleep in. It's got little pockets for them to, they can carry their food. They can easily carry a week's food and it's like probably only a couple of, you know, it's probably only 2% of their body weight, you know. So it's way, way, you know, well within the safe limit. Like they don't even notice it. They don't even notice it. Um, but having said that, from time to time, you know, keeping in mind the fact that if a dog's properly trained, it can carry up to thirty percent of its body weight. Um, sometimes print probably does carry well, even getting up to ten or fifteen percent. So probably half of that, you know. And he's a he's a bit strong dog, and the weight's right up over his shoulders. You know, it's not like in the middle of their back sag in their back. But every now and again, um, if I'm climbing up high or whatever, or, or I don't know where the next water's going to be, he'll have his um, his food and a chain and maybe a little tarpaulin. I've got this um, a Cuban fibre tarpaulin, which is 150 grams, and it's about the size of a can of baked beans. Um, or not even that. Um, so he'll carry that, and then every now and again, if I don't know how far apart the water's going to be, um, I've got uh, bl- you know water bladders, um, good. they're like 20 bucks each or something, good hardy bladders. Um, and I've often got one or two of them empty in my dog's vests, which so they just take up no room, they just pack down flat um, and weigh nothing. And then if I'm like, well I'm climbing up this hill, I've got my water, the dog's probably going to be thirsty sometime today, I don't know where the next water is, and I'll put a bit of water on them too. And then it might be getting up around, oh, I'm terrible at mass doing stuff like this off the top of my head. But, um, you know, it might get up around, well, yeah, four or five kilos on print, which whatever that is, percentage wise. So I agree. Yeah, so, that, so Luke, on that, I agree, I'm not into loading dogs up big time, um, but it's bloody good. To get them to carry a bit of junk you know it really is especially in the my case where i've got two of them it sort of all adds up a bit um as far as inducing vomiting do i take anything to induce vomiting if they manage to eat a bit of poison two two things on that well first of all no Uh, and i don't even know i know vets have stuff like that i don't know where you would get that but man if there's any possibility of poison being in the area, I am just don't go anywhere near it with my dog, you know what I mean? And uh, it's a scary thing, man, particularly in New Zealand, eh? The whole poison thing and, um, yeah, it just sucks. And and I'm really weary on it, you know? and um, But I don't carry any of that stuff and I'm just really weary of it and don't go anywhere near it. Uh, Man, there's heaps of comments over here on the live thing. Nathan Field says, Paul, you've fundamentally changed both my hunting and my relationship with my dog. Thank you. Thank you. Seems so inaccurate. Dude, making me emotional. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, that's why I do it. So um, if I've helped you, sort of like make your you are making it worthwhile for me and sort of the whole thing man and um, I can't do what I do without guys like you that follow it and buy the blueprint and give me support and make comments like that so it's all just um, uh, it's all a win-win man so thank you um, Samuel, how do you stop your dog bolting if she's failed to stop after a loud shout of her name? Got her three months old from a shepherd, so may have had some time chasing sheep. She's 16 months now. The chase instinct is strong. As soon as an animal, in brackets, sheep, ducks and deer, has back turns and walks away, she bolts. Real easy answer to that man is... If you've got a dog that's doing that, you put it on a long line and you train it until it's not. And that's, yeah, man, it's a big topic in itself. But once you've got a dog that's breaking like that, like a lot, and you're saying she's breaking and and you shout her name and she doesn't stop, you've got a lot of work to do with that dog before you can hunt over it and and you've got a lot of work to do with that dog before you put her in a situation where she has the opportunity to chase something unless she's on a long line and you're holding the bloody thing properly and ready to check her and that's part of the solution in itself is have her know, know how to use a long line properly and just keep setting her up and stopping in with that long line and get her used to things running away and not being able to chase it over and over and over but that's not your starting point either you want your stop go turn attentiveness non communicative stops range um you know and i mean in the blueprint we show you how to buddy do all your stuff up to a certain point so you've got all your you need to get all your training Sorted in a zero distraction environment. It's always about coming back right to the start, setting the dog up to succeed and getting those patterns and behaviors in place in a zero distraction environment. No matter what, I don't care if it's 16 months old and it's been with a shepherd or it's done whatever it's done, the age and experience of a dog's kind of irrelevant to a certain extent. And it all comes back to where that individual pup or dog is at. And if that dog, I don't care if it's 15 years old, if it's chasing stuff and it's breaking and chasing, then it's at the point where you need to come right back to a zero distraction environment. Doing all of your training with the dog on a long line, with the long line end of the long line wrapped around your hand. And go right back to part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the blueprint. And get all your stop, go, turn, you know, all of that stuff just sorted in a zero distraction environment. And then, and it basically just follow the blueprint, man. And then, and then I can't remember exactly what part it is, somewhere around six, seven, eight ish. We talk about increasing distraction on the stop. And we even show you how to put your dog on a long line, tie a loop in the long line and peg the dog to the spot and start introducing distraction. So it can't get up off the stop. And we show you how to introduce your dog to cows through a fence with your dog on a long line. And just really slowly work your way forward Um, you know to a point where something's going on with my live stream here something went wrong I don't know if I'm still streaming here guys it's just telling me something's gone wrong but then it's still saying live and ticking over And there's a big delay, so I don't see what you guys see for about 20 seconds. Something went wrong. Please check your stream's connection. It still looks like it's working for me. Um... Guys, can you throw a comment whether it's still working? Oh, yeah, Josh has already said you're live. You're streaming. Sweet. It's just talking shit. Um, (laughs) Let me know if it stops streaming. I'm watching the comments. Um, Sweet. Um, Yeah, back to... Back to... uh, was it from? Samuel. How do you stop your dog bolting if she's failed to stop after a loud shout of her name? You go right back to the start and work your way back through. And you're fine with an older dog that's got experience. You'll be able to work back through a lot quicker. Get all your basics sorted. Oh yeah, but switch back now and telling me everything's working perfectly. Um, right back to start get all your your basics sorted man just like and it literally is it's like what's the answer to that it takes about 15 or it takes about 15 hours and it takes about 18 months to put together and it's called the deer dog blueprint and it actually works bloody well retraining older dogs too so it's just the same thing go right back to the start and just start again man it hasn't been done properly with that dog You know, like you say, you got her her three months old from a shepherd, so may have had time chasing sheep. She's 16 months old now. The chase instinct's strong. As soon as she sees an animal, there's something not right there, man. You know, um, I don't know if you're listening or whatever. Um, I haven't got a ton of back. I don't know what part of the blueprint you're on. I don't know how much training you've done, all that sort of stuff. But there's like a bit of my thoughts on that question or comment. Let us know, message or comment or something. Um, Paul Herman, I'd like to discuss helping my pup become more interested in deer scent. What can I do to try and stop the pup being interested in rabbits? He flushes when walking. How can I desensitise him to jumping kangaroos? Snake avoidance tips. <laughs> um Helping your pup become more interested in deer scent. Again, I need a lot more context on these questions, guys. I need to know how old your pup is. I need to know what part of the blueprint you're on. If it's a question about scent, I need to know how much scent work you've done. When you say it's not that interested, what's happening? Are you doing scent work and it's not interested? Or are you trying to hunt it and it's not? I, there's just not enough context there? Um, what breed is it? Loads of stuff. I need a lot, plenty of context on these guys. Um, But, you know, do some skin work, like within the blueprint. We even say in the blueprint that doing that skin work, a lot of dogs lose interest pretty early um, because it's just a piece of skin. How do I stop him being interested in rabbits? He flushes. We go over non... We go over non... Target species avoidance training in the blueprint. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? It's been a while since I've said that one. We go over non target species avoidance training in the blueprint. It's quite basic, but we do do it later on towards the end. Um, that's a good go to, but again, the best go to for all of that. I mean with a dog that's well trained it's just never an issue and ideally you would train a dog in an area that doesn't have loads of kangaroos and rabbits until the dog's steady enough that you you can it's controlled and it doesn't just automatically chase running stuff and even if it does you can stop it with a stop command, you know. And if you're not there you've got to go back and, and train again. Um, yeah but again I just need a heap more context snake avoidance tips man no snakes in New Zealand it's something I've never had any personal experience with so I can't really comment on it Um, I saw a random comment somewhere that there's some dudes in Aussie that are right right into it and I saw someone comment somewhere on something can't remember That check out this guy that's like all he does he's like the master at it or something so super interesting subject but really strikes me as something that um man like like i know i know and frequently talk to a lot of pretty good hunters in aussie and they just stay the hell out of it in snake season you know um and yeah, I'm sorry, it's just not something I don't know much about, so I'm just not going to even get into it or pretend I do know about it. <laughs> I'll give advice on it because it's a bloody serious topic and my advice is just be really careful. Take all the precautions you can and, and hey, on that, I can only tell you what I would do if I was going somewhere with a lot of snakes, and I don't know what the deal is with getting a dead snake, I don't know if they're protected or if what, but if it was legal or if it was possible for me to get a dead snake, I'd want to get a dead snake and I would do avoidance training with the snake in the exact same way that I do non-target species avoidance training in the old Training Blueprint. Um, and that's how I do it man. Um, it's pretty simple long line but I say we're doing it with a rabbit but again I get all my I get a really solid base um, I get a really solid base of training and dialogue set up with the dog before I attack this sort of stuff. And and it, it's like one, it, it's like a chicken and egg thing, you know. It's like once a dog's really well trained and attentive, a lot of the stuff, like chasing rabbits and kangaroos and different things, is it's just like a not. It's same as the health and the same as that safety question. What first aid kit and vomit inducing stuff and stuff do you take? And it's like, yeah, I have a first aid kit, but I don't really need it because my dog's well trained. It doesn't do heaps of stupid shit. Um and it'd be similar with snakes, you know, like, if it's a well trained indicating dog, it's just nice and close and walking slowly, and yeah, if it was snake season, for sure it could get tagged, and that's why I know a lot of guys that know a lot about snakes and dogs, and they just don't hunt in snake season, and they hunt in the winter, you know, I don't even really know how snakes work and stuff, but, If I did want to do something to try and minimise it as much as possible, I would do it in the same way as we do the non-target species avoidance training in the blueprint. If it was possible and legal, I'd get a dead snake. I'd have my dog pretty well trained already. And then I'd put the snake on the back lawn or out in a training area without the dog seeing. And then I'd walk the dog past the snake and if the dog showed any attention to the snake I'd go up and check it on the long line which is pretty much exactly how we train do non-target species avoidance training and and there's a few other things to it and it'll make a lot more sense if you actually watch that part of the blueprint because then you're actually watching me do it with a dog and I'm explaining it while I'm doing it and you're seeing it all happen and everything and you repeat it until the dog knows it's not meant to have anything to do with that snake you know and it works um, but the, the, it's it's like poison avoidance people someone might say oh how would you do poison avoidance in new zealand so you can hunt your dog in 1080 areas i'd say man i wouldn't i just wouldn't go in a 1080 area because You know, it's just too, the stakes are too high and nothing's 100%. So it's, I don't know, yeah. Um, Cohen Stewart, Paul, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on why a GSP pup following the blueprint still can't manage a sit at 10 months at a distance of 5 metres without a tug on the long line or stepping in, putting pressure on her. What could I be doing wrong, man? Yeah, that's a hard one. Something's definitely wrong, and it's impossible for me to tell you what it is without seeing your training. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It, I, I, it's pretty rare, man. I don't hear about that sort of thing often, eh? Um, mm But and yeah, that's the answer. It's something's wrong. Uh, I'm hesitating to say it but I'd be pretty sure you're doing something wrong you're missing something or you've missed something over and over and now you've got a bad habit that whatever you're doing isn't working to fix it and you're just in some pattern somewhere the reading and timing's off somewhere or something else is off with that dog's routine somewhere else someone else is doing something wrong with it it spends too much time out of a kennel or something's just gone amiss missed somewhere and you're not quite hitting the markers either in your overall management and routine with that dog or you're not hitting the markers while out training and most of it will be reading and timing and pressure and praise and it's really hard for me to give you a good answer without seeing exactly what you're doing you know what 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 would be interesting um, here, Cohen, if you can, if it's possible, get someone a video of you doing a stop drill with your dog and what's happening and what you are doing when it gets up and, like, record two or three and post it in the inner circle and then I can see it and comment on it. The one other thing would be... Um, where are you based in, in maybe doing a one-on-one? or oh, you're in Imbacargo. It's a bit of a drive. <laughs> it's a bit of a drive. I may be down that way sometime. But, yeah, something's going on there, man. And it's... It's uh, impossible for me to say without seeing it. Taryn. It's a familiar name. Taryn, were you the one with the... Timid dog that we're talking about working with, maybe. Taryn, our pup has been chasing, our pup has been chasing, focusing on shadows. Okay, chasing hyphen, focusing on shadows. Sunny days and at night with lights around. He also focused on the odd leaf long grass and I think the odd insect he wants to play and chase. He is jumping on whatever he's looking at. Do we just keep telling him off with a disapproval command? Is there any other way or thing we can do? Stuart Cooper's offered a, uh, an answer here. He said his pup used to do that, drove me mad. She'd eat grass while walking, but she's nearly completely stopped it. I use the command of disapproval a lot with the checks on the rope each time. Yep, and that's a... That's probably a pretty good answer, Stuart. And some of those things, Taryn, when you say our pup, I'm wondering how old it actually is. But some pups, young dogs in training, as they are coming up, they do have really fricking annoying things and they're really, really persistent with it. And you have to be really, really persistent in correcting it. And there are certain things with certain dogs that they're just gonna do over and over and over and you've just gotta put pressure on it over and over and over without losing your cool or doing anything too drastic. Um, But just keep correcting it every time. Say, ah, cut it out. Maybe be firmer with it. I'm not telling you to do anything horrible to your dog, but maybe be firmer with it. Make sure your timing's bang on. Make sure you're not putting it in a situation where sometimes it's getting to do it a lot on its own. And then other times you're trying to stop it, do it, like you're trying to choose when you want it to do it or not. But um, I'd like to know what breed it is too. Um, Vizslas can be pretty good at pointing flies and shadows and lights and different things. I'm not saying there's plenty of dogs who do it, but it's definitely something I've seen in Vizslas a few times Um, and not so much in other dogs. Yeah. Definitely don't want to single out Vizzlers there. I've got a 50% Vizzler now, but uh, yeah. So that's that's my take on that. Is um, yeah. Make sure you're not setting. Make sure you're not setting the dog up to do it sometimes. Um, and then expecting it not to do it others. You know, is it getting a whole bunch of free time on its own where you're not seeing it, where it's just spending ages doing it? If that's happening, then it's going to be very hard to stop it when you want it to stop it, if that makes sense. If it's, you know what I mean? Like if it's free in some big area for hours and hours a day and unbeknownst to you it's spending hours doing it and then you come home and go, oh, what are you doing? And you're trying to stop it "Ah, ah," for 10 minutes a day. It's not going to work, you know. Um, if it's not that, and you're being really consistent with all your management and everything, um, then unfortunately it's kind of what Stuart said, and it's just like all dogs, um, a lot of dogs have a have one or two really annoying things that you just have to constantly put pressure on, over and over, be super consistent, trust in that process, let them age and mature and come come into their own. And, and a lot of those things pass over time with really good training and, and handling and management. Um, and then, like Stuart said, his pup used to do it. Drove me mad. She'd eat grass, do other things. Um, but she has nearly completely stopped it. He used the commander to prove approval a lot with checks on the long line every time. And that's kind of how you do it. Um, okay, Johnny's saying it's still sweet, which I'm guessing the stream's still sweet. He's saying, my bro, 11-week-old pup. His bro's 11-week-old pup is so cruisy, touch wood. But he lives in town. He struggles to find a 0 distraction place. You find his... You know if there is no way or any dog... Oh, you know, there's no one or any dogs etc there are still all the smells what's your thoughts just deal with it and keep going again man a bit more context would be awesome I oh, 11 week old bloody young eh real young and it kind of comes back to what Taryn's dealing with is that sometimes it's just not easy and you're just constantly Correcting and trying to stay on top of things and trying to walk that fine line and just doing the best you can and keeping everything as tidy as possible under your circumstances and just repeat and repeat and repeat without being over the top or getting into too much conflict with the dog and just let them age and mature and come on, you know, and, and, and as important as it is to really do everything you can to get into a low distraction environment it really is because I could say just let the dog come on let the dog just repeat repeat let the dog come on but it might be that and, and then other people don't have time or they can't get to a spot but it might be that you have to like put more time aside on a weekend to drive out of town to a quieter spot and just do half an hour out there once or twice a week you know or something like that to start making progress in a real zero distraction environment and start moving towards a point where you can begin to make better progress in semi-distraction environments. Um, not very good at English there but you know what I mean. Um, you know, so, so, if you are really struggling to get in a zero distraction environment and you're struggling to make proce- progress there, then try driving out of town this weekend and get into a zero distraction environment and spend a good bit of time with your dog and try to just turn that corner where you're getting a bit of stuff happening, it's looking a bit better. And then try and you're, you're the best environment you can get into on a regular basis and, and then oh sweet and you might start making a bit of progress there and then weekend after go back out, work with it again, make a bit more progress, come back, sweet, now it's starting to work and and you just got to, you know, think outside the box and, and sometimes be prepared to really do the work, you know, um yeah, let me know if that makes sense Johnny. Um, Harry's up to part seven of the blueprint. She's a GSP. Oh, is that adding context to a question from ages ago? I'm not sure. Nathan Senior. Hi, Nathan. Uh, hi, Paul. I've done eight weeks of scent training with my pup. And with red skin, he's nice and calm, but seeker skin, he gets hypo. Any thoughts have done the exact same training on both skins as in the blueprint. That's bloody interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I um no experience with that man. I don't know what that is. Um he's saying nice and calm with seek uh. Nice and calm with red skin. So the skin of a red, doing scent training with deer skin. Nathan's saying he's using the skin off a red deer, which is a type of deer. Red deer is a breed of deer. He's using that type, that skin off that breed of deer and the dog is calm. But with seeker skin, it gets hypo. There is a few different variables there I have seen dogs be quite wary on their first stinky stag and it's something I've talked about um I talked about that in a hunting video which is on Facebook and YouTube hunting wireweer where print was tracking a boar and he was all sneaky and wary and things and I have seen dogs where um you know they've taken you know on a couple of hinds and spikers and different things and um they're just keen and super interested and wanting to get in there and then um, you see then they start indicating one day and they're all weird and sneaky and different which could be perceived as being calm and it's a big old stag and they can smell that testosterone and gnarliness you know they actually can they know that it's exactly like the difference between a if a, if a um, young pup like Miko, if she sees a playful little dog on the beach, she's all keen to go and bouncy and silly and, and what could be, you could call it a hyper. When, if there's a big black staunch dog or whatever, just a big gnarly dog, big intimidating full on, she's very low key and hanging back and looking at me and this is gnarly. That can be one part of it. So, so if, if the red skin was a gnarly was a from a smelly old stag, it could be that. I'm completely theorising here and just like throwing ideas around. Um, that's about the only thing I've seen like that. I've also seen um, and we've talked about in other videos. Ah, uh, it doesn't make sense here though, because they're both deer, but, but I've seen dogs that are very keen on things like goats and deer and, and, and um, real herbivore animals, but, but anytime they smell an omnivore like a, a pig or a cat or a stoat, it's a very different body language and they're all different. Um, and they, can, they do that all off scent, they don't have to see the animal, it's, just, it's all off the scent. Um, I don't know, what the smell and the pheromones or chemicals, or they just know, you know. Um, mm. Just throwing a few ideas around there, man, but what uh, <laughs> a couple of ideas. Like I'm just thinking what I would do if I had a dog that was doing that. If I had a dog that was nice and calm on red skin, I'd probably just keep using the red skin. But then, on the other hand, if it was an idiot every time it was I was working with seeker skin, I'd probably keep working with seeker skin and do do a good bit of work there, and and you know put a bit of pressure on it every time it's getting a bit hypo, and I'd be trying to work towards calming it down while it's tracking that seeker skin. Um, are we still live here, guys. Everything bloody ticking along. Looks like it. Um Paul Herman, six months old, six month old German wire pointer up to part seven. He does seem to just plod along and doesn't seem to be interested at all with the skin drags or skin scent in the air. That's bloody unusual for a what, German Y hair pointer. Usually they got tons ago. Doesn't seem to be interested at all, um, man. It, it, it personally, I've never seen of or heard of that with a white German white hair Pointer. Um, I talked to one guy earlier this year who a guy had followed the blueprint with the Vizsla and at times the Vizsla was acting disinterested with deer. It just—it was just hit and miss. And I have heard of that a little bit with some... It's very, very rare, man. Um, I've almost never seen it with a dog myself. Where a dog's like... where you're doing skin work and the dog's showing no interest in the skin and then you take it out into the bush and the dog just shows no interest in deer. I've kind of never seen that. It's usually the other way, the other problem, way too much interest and all full on and all go, so. um, Just seems to plot along and is not that interested in skin drags or skin scent in the air. I wouldn't freak out about it yet. I would want to know how's the rest of your training going. I wonder if you're still listening and you can. I'll do a um, a, a scroll down. I've got 19 new comments below where I'm up to now. Um, if you can throw down in a comment, poll if you're still watching, um, um, how's the rest of your training going? Six months old. If everything else is on track, man, and and your introduction of gunfire is going well, everything's going well. And and again, it just comes back to what would I do in this case? I'd go, okay, this dog isn't showing much interest in the skin at this point. But a dog like that, man, tends to be pretty easy to keep under control and all of that. You you're like you'll be going, Oh no, my dog's not showing interest in deer skin. But most people are going, oh no, my dog's showing way too much interest in desk and I'm struggling to keep it under control or I'm trug- struggling to get it to stop to the shoulder, I'm struggling to do everything else. I, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't freak out about it. I would I'm interested to know if you can throw it in the comments, if it's still doing every if you're still hitting all your other markers and your range is coming into play nicely and you're working on your introduction of gunfire and every if everything else is on track, man i just keep working on everything else. Get your introduction to gunfire sorted. Everything else sorted. And then just go shoot a deer over it and see what happens. Um, That's what I would do. I would just proceed as usual. And then just take it hunting. Um, Shoot a deer over it following all of the correct practices. Take it over. Good dog give it a pat on the deer and just see if that does it. And um, it can happen, I've heard of it, with um, bird dogs where someone's just really struggling to get an up-and-coming bird dog to really fire and want to retrieve and want to have interest in feathers and birds and all of that. And it just isn't happening, isn't happening, and they get all everything else set up that they need to set up to hunt, such as introduction of gunfire, get the dog very comfortable around gunfire, get all your controls set up, all your other commands, and go and shoot a, and shoot a bird over the thing and see what happens. And every now and again, that stimuli of a real freaking animal, and bang, and you're on. So, and it can, really can happen like that too, I, I, I know of people that that's happened with. Um, so, yeah, I'm gonna scroll down right now and see if you if you're still here. Yep. Stops great, turns well, range is consistent. Really bored to gunfire. So yeah. And, and that's what I'm meaning, Paul. Um, um that for everyone listening, that's Paul's comment regarding his dog that that's not showing interest in skin. That's and that's why I'm not like that's why I talk about drive man and, and and you know, like Fly, who has just ridiculous amounts of go on you know, you, you can hunt over her, shoot goats over her ten days straight, shoot a hundred goats, you know, or whatever you want. You and you could do it for a hundred days. <laughs> and be walking back to camp in the pissing down rain after shooting more goats than anyone wants to shoot. And if she smells a goat, hundreds of meters away, she'll indicate, she's like, Let, there's another way, she'll just, won't stop. So much drive to hunt and work on a real animal, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, way more than I'll ever need. And she wasn't that interested in skin, man. She did a bit of it. Like, I'm talking a few, and then she was just like, what are you, why are we doing this? It's a piece of skin. You know? So, and that, that can really be the case too, you know? And, and this whole thing, I touched on it earlier, about people getting confused with drive, and what some people associate with drive is actually hyperactivity. And, and... Man, I was listening to I was listening to the Stephen Rinella, the Meat Eater podcast, and he was talking about a guy, and I really should know this guy's name. And excuse me for not knowing off the top of my head, but he has the um, the Gun Dog podcast or something like that. I've got it. I'm following them on Instagram. I think he's actually been on Meat Eater with Stephen. He's in the states. Um, let me bring it up so you can check it out. Uh, Gun Dog Podcast That's not it Where is it? Oh, what's his bloody name? Hunting Dog Podcast? Bird Dog Podcast? The Hunting Dog Podcast That's what it's called Hosted by Ron Boehm (laughs) Bomi. but <laughs> Ron, it's spelled B-O-E-H-M-E. It says this podcast is an ever-growing diary of our life experience with dogs and friends, and and um, the hunting dog podcast. And uh, I heard Stephen; he's got Jeremiah, or like this. He's he uses um, Italian pointers. Bracco, Is it? Are they Breccos? What the hell are they? The Brecco Italiano, whatever it is. He's got big old mochi ones of them, and uh, really cool guy. And and um, um, you know, you, you only have to watch him for two minutes, and you know he knows his shit, you know. And I was listening to the uh, Meat Eater podcast, and Stephen was talking about um, him and 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 just that he'd just been through and through with bird dogs for over twenty years, and he. He had something to do with judging bird dogs and something. And he's just. He knows what he's talking about. And Stephen was talking about something that he he was talking about. And it was use of nose. And he was talking about it and explaining it. And, you, and and it was you can have the dog with the best nose on the planet or all the hyperactivity in the world. That dog that's quivering and can't sit still and it's all over the place and it's whimpery and whiny and just wants to break, break and chase everything. But all of that stuff often doesn't transfer over into a dog that will really just hunt and hunt and hunt and actually get the job done and execute and do it properly. And I've seen it over and over. And um, I, I've even forgotten where this rant started. Oh, it's, it's about um, Paul Herman and his dog with the skin. Not showing interest in the skin. It's not showing this full-on hyperactivity interest in the skin and just wanting to go for it. Often dogs like that I'm not saying, and people are going to be all up in arms. He's telling people to use dogs that don't like deer skin. It's he's crazy, and that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying just because a dog goes nuts over a piece of skin doesn't mean it's going to be mind-blowingly good day after day, hour after hour, out on the hill and get the job done. And just because a dog isn't nuts about a piece of skin over and over and over doesn't mean it's going to be like a ridiculously good, driven, methodical job that'll just get the job done over and over and over and over and over and over. And if anything, I have seen a correlation between dogs that lose interest in something like an inanimate piece of dead skin early. And a dog that's just going to have that real methodical drive, like the fly's a classic case. Fly's a classic case of that. Where, man, she she's just really good. And her drive and stuff and, and how far she'll try to take you to an animal and she doesn't want to pull off and how much to how methodical she is. She just doesn't stuff up because she's not all frantic and all over the place. Those dogs that are all frantic, and all, they overshoot the scent and they pull off and, you know, when they're trying to track one deer and they get all sidetracked on something else and distracted and all, they're like a hyperactive person. You know, who do you want to help you do a job? Do you want someone that's hyperactive and all over the place or do you want the dude that just turns up and goes, yeah, I'll help? What are we going to do? You know, and and dogs are the same. And I've seen it over and over. And I've seen over and over, I've seen dogs that have tons, they're all that full on dog. But when it comes to the crunch, and you get out in the field and you're trying to track a deer with the bloody thing, they're all over the place and they don't even do it properly. So that's where I mean, often I've seen more of a correlation between that full on hyper dog actually not having the chops in the field. And I've seen more of a correlation of that dog that, man, it doesn't seem that bloody interested here. But when we actually get out and start doing it, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, (laughs) now we're we're on, you know? So there's just a big sort of rant on that. Um, But yeah, the Hunting Dog Podcast and and that guy, um, um, Ron... Boehm, Boehm, oh, That's completely not how. You, I apologise, Ron, if you ever listen to this, mate. I'm gonna have to work out how you how to say your name properly. But um, just they 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 know their shit, you know. And um, Steve Stephen was talking about it just come up, and they were talking about I can't remember how it come up. They're talking about scent or the way deer scent or something, and then though and then he. Stephen Rinaldi ended up talking about what Ron was saying about use of nose, and that and that dog that it just doesn't drop lip, you know, and it, it'll just go all day and keep going. And, and you know, they were talking about all of the stuff about um, humidity, and Ron knew like the actual percentage of humidity that was like optimal for a dog to work and all this crazy stuff it was yeah well worth a listen i'd say um do we have have we got anything else guys um oh yep i'll scroll past a couple here oh nathan said on the dog that was calm on the red and hyper on the seeker that both skins are off stags. Even when I drag both skins side by side, then split the trail, he always goes for the seeker, then finds the red afterwards. That's interesting, man. It really is. Um, And... I mean different dogs always do have their weird little funny idiosyncrasies you know with what they are interested in and what they want to hunt um, fly wasn't that overly interested in pigs and I talked about this quite a bit and then I shot a few pigs over and she just now she's just a pig freaking maniac um, Print on the other hand, he was he almost showed more interest in pigs before he'd even shot one. He just, net, the first time he smelt a pig, he went, man, that smells like something that I want to have a lot to do with. And he was just indicating like mad and just keen on it. Um, and I was actually like pulling him off, off pigs for a while, um, because I was sort of in the blueprint and early on with him, I was, I was sort of trying to show people how to keep a dog more species specific. But now I've shot a couple of pigs over and he continues to be really keen on them, and um, and other dogs, you know, like um, will naturally be very interested in goats. Uh, really interesting conversation with a guy, I won't drop his name because I don't know if he'd even wanna be involved, but um, an extremely knowledgeable guy on dogs like um, farmer, used them, dogs on farms all his life, working dogs, pig hunter all his life. In his 60s, easily, um had God knows how many dogs, you know really passionate about it and just when any time we start talking about dogs it's just a mess because, <laughs> because um, you know, we're just into it and it's an hour's gone just like that. But and, and, it, and then he's a really interesting guy to talk about dogs too because he's actually got deer on his farm, he's got wild deer on his farm, he's a pig hunter, he's got sheep on his farm, he's got cattle on his farm, he's got goats on his farm, and he also uses his dogs, he's got heading dogs that he also uses to round up goats, to round up sheep, to round up cattle, to round up deer, and then he goes and uses them as pig dogs on the weekend. And they'll indicate deer as well and they'll also round them up it's, it's actually pretty crazy and he made the observation that if you've got a if you've got a dog that just wants to chase everything and you haven't done any aversion training and you haven't done any work like encouraging them to go for one over the other he reckons most dogs will have, if you've got a, I can't remember exactly which way around it was, it was something like if you've got a deer and a pig and a sheep and a goat all in a paddock, and depending on what kind of dog it is, some dogs will go out and just want to head them and bring them back to you, some dogs will want to go out and bale them up in a corner, run them into a bloody ditch and bale them up, and other dogs are just going to want to go out and sink some teeth and grab hold of it. He said if you've got a pig and a goat and a deer and a sheep and all these different things out in the paddock, um, most dogs will go, I, I know it was a goat first. He said for whatever reason, they're just dogs, are just programmed to want to go for goats. And ask most pig hunters. What? <laughs> um, you know, it, it can be hard to keep young keen dogs off goats. And it can, it can be, it's far easier to get them into goats than in as the pigs. Um, and often, I don't want to say deer come in last. I've seen dogs where deer come in before pigs, like, like fly. She was very keen on uh, deer. But then I trained her to hunt them. And I started shooting them over her following good practice. And I trained her right and she was just set up to want to do what I wanted her to do and she just turns into this beast on whatever I want her to do. Um. But but what I'm saying is different dogs have their funny little idiosyncrasies on different things, you know. And, and you may, you've obviously got a dog that for whatever weird reason really likes the idea of having lots to do with seeker. But a red, it's like meh. But I guarantee you, if if you started if if you go out and start shooting reads, I, you know I don't think there'll be much. Maybe if there's a red if if a read and a seeker have walked along next to each other and one's gone one way and the other's gone the other, it might go for the seeker. But I guarantee, if it was only the red, it'll still take you to that if you've shot reds over in the past, you know. So um, it's an interesting little thing you got going on there. It'll be interesting to sort of see how it turns out, you know. Joseph Olson, how's it going, mate? I still haven't um, given that nice bit of gear that, that I've got sitting on my shelf here a thrashing yet. It's coming, getting closer though. Um, at what age do you do the bird avoidance training with Doc in order to do the dog permit? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Um, But if I had the choice and I could do it at any time, I would tend to leave it later on until, you know, I've sort of got everything pretty solid and try to do it a a month or two or just before I start hunting. So just get everything, excuse me, everything else done and then do it. And, and not sort of throw it in the mix earlier on having said that too it's all pretty inconsequential inconsequential quince. there's no real consequence to it either way um and if you're like oh it's, it's, my dog's six months old it'd just be easier if i do it now and then I don't have to do it later for whatever reason sometimes it's hard so we talk for people listening we t- joseph' talking about Kiwi and and sort of um, avian aversion training, it's called. In New Zealand we've got Kiwi, a flightless ground bird native, um, and we've also got blue ducks, and we've got a few native birds that hunt totally protected. Some of them are endangered, and you really do not want your dog killing these birds. Um, and in a lot of areas on in Department of Conservation land, um, in order to take a dog hunting, we have to do what what doc called either kiwi aversion training, and now in a lot of areas they're calling it avian aversion training. It used to be they just do kiwi aversion, which is our flightless, you know, native bird, the kiwi. Um, but now they're adding other things onto it, and they're doing. Um, uh, they're also using the scent of blue duck and stuffed blue ducks and blue duck or feo, which is a native duck which is endangered in New Zealand. So they sort of switch the name up to it's just avian aversion training. They're saying, look, if you want to take a dog into dock land in New Zealand to hunt big game, you it's not allowed to it's not allowed to wanna to kill birds as well while it's in there. And which is fair enough and um, and we do get questions about oh is it going to stuff my dog up for duck hunting or is it going to do this and that and um, it really doesn't and um, my take on the whole thing is I think for actually the purposes of training and, and actually having the avian aversion training work I think you know the older the dog can be to do it the better and the more sort of actual proper training you've completed and, and the, the better trained the dog actually is. So you've got dialogue with the dog and, and, and the dog or the dog's learning quick, It's older, it's more mature, it already knows a whole bunch of stuff. It knows to look to you. It's learning stuff quickly now. Like everything's starting to fall into place. I think Kiwi aversion training, avian aversion training just works better later you know it it just does and the closer you do it before you start hunting then the training is going to work better it's better for the dog it's better it's it's got a higher chance of actually working so your dog actually won't harm or chase native birds which is a good thing um you know so that's my advice is to try to wait till the dogs i don't know eight or ten or twelve months old or something like that before you do it Having said that, sometimes sometimes it can be blooming hard to get it done. In some areas, there's a trainer right there all the time ready to go. I've had it when it's like, right, need to go hunting next month with my dog, or sometimes I've had it when I'm like, I need to go hunting next week. I'll get him aversion training, get an aversion trained, and you start ringing around, and one guy's away, and the other guy's not doing it at the moment, and there's like <laughs> near on no one in my end of the North Island that's doing it, and I have to get it done before I take my dog hunting. So if you're in a case like that where you're like well i don't there's a guy that's going to be here this weekend my dog's only six months old and i have to do it before i start hunting and i don't know where my next chance to get it done is going to be i'll do it and then and just do what you have to do to follow the rules and have your dog proper properly certified and all of that um On the subject, I've never seen it have a detrimental effect to a bird dog's drive on ducks and things, you know, it's only dogs have good situational awareness, it, it, it's done with a kiwi, dogs are very good at knowing the difference between different animals and things like that, and it's just never an issue, you know, some people are like, oh I don't want to do it, or should I do it, or it just, it's, in my experience it's fine. Um, and another sort of interesting thing to cover on this is the fact that, oh, and I'm not, saying here that hey perhaps we don't need to get our dogs done we do and we really should and it's bloody important but it's never that much of an issue with a big game indicating dog because it, it, it because it stays at your feet and it's not charging around doing what it wants you're not depending on the dog to be doing the right thing out of sight you know um so yeah, um uh, that that's I hope that answers it, man. David Spring, my dog goes well with skin but on fresh deer scent and she's a mess. What am I doing wrong? Context man. What does she's a mess mean? Is she scared of it? Is she keen on it? Is she not is she pulling out? Is she how old is she? What part of the blueprint are you are you on? What have you You know? <laughs> If you're still listening, just throw a bit more context there. Dog goes well with skin, but on fresh deer scent, she's a mess. What am I doing wrong? Yep, I need to know a bit more. Um, We had some questions on the Big Game Indicating Dogs public page. How's the sound going here, guys? Is it Uh, all pretty good Um, we're kind of slowly but quickly uh, approaching a position where I'm struggling to, you know, up until very recently, I've basically like hit like on every single comment anyone ever puts on Big Game Indicating Dogs and I've immediately replied to every comment on every post and immediately replied to every message. I'm really just starting to get to the point where I'm struggling to keep up. Um, yeah I knew it was going to happen one day it's a good thing and it's a bad thing all at once it's a good thing because we're growing and we're slowly actually getting to the point where we may not go broke trying to do this (laughs) Um, but yeah it's just meaning that we're getting to the point where I can't directly answer everyone's Messages and questions, you know, and and that's like the whole idea of these Q and As and the podcast and all of that, and why I started sort of recording, all of my, you know, answers and things to to just try to, um. You know, cover all the bases as best I can. One I had, um, and and I've just got a couple of questions here, and messages that I'll get to soon if we have to. Um, all right, so David's saying, too, too keen. About 12 months old. Man, you're pretty... <laughs> I don't want to call you out here, David, but you're pretty vague. About 12 months old. Um. No, you're all good, man. Um. Okay, so David, his dog goes well on the skin. So he's saying it's quite calm and controlled on the skin, um, but it's excited and too keen on real deer. Um, it's about 12 months old, he's just starting to hunt. So he's, he's about on target, and it's a very common thing. Um, have you watched the updates at the end of part 12, David? Um, oh, thanks, Luke. He's just letting us know this sounds good, sweet. Um, yeah, the, the updates we did off the end of part 12, David, we put them up like earlier this year and it's the final 20 minutes of part 12. Just throw in the comments if you've watched those, cause that'll be, yeah. Yeah. He's saying she pulls away and forgets her training. And the, the reason I say that David is cause the, we added it to the end of part 12. Massive update, probably the biggest update we've put on the blueprint is all about exactly this. Is about dogs that, you know, they're perfect in training and, and a lot of dogs even start off hunting really well too, uh, while they're learning and they're a bit tentative, sort of building confidence. And you shoot a few deer over them, they get keener and keener, more and more confidence and this dog that it was perfect in training and perfect for their first few deer just starts to turn into a real bloody handful. And I made a, a big sort of 20 or 30 minute update in the blueprint talking about all the sort of key things that you can do to control that. Um, one one of the easiest go-tos is just start start hunting on the long line again, just with the dog dragging the long line. Others is actually using change of direction in the bush while your dog is trying to take you to a deer. Um, turn it around. Um, putting pressure on. A lot of people, um, you know, they'll say, oh, my dog's too keen or it's pulling away or it's doing this or it's doing that. And I'm saying, well, what are you doing to stop it? And they'll say, oh, I sort of felt like maybe I should tell it off, but I didn't want to affect its drive, which isn't a good train of thought to be having, particularly with an indicating dog particularly one that's getting out of hand, getting overconfident, particularly one you've shot a couple of deer over and it's really starting to hit its straps and go, man, I know exactly what I'm doing here, so let's go, and they start turning into a real handful. It actually can be quite important to start putting a bit of pressure on that a dog like that. Um, measured pressure comes back to the, the whole principles of pressure and praise and putting pressure on what you don't want praise on what you do want and 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 that's why i'm so huge on principles because if you just really come back to them every time and you go okay my dog's pulling out it's getting too keen i don't want it to be doing that and the principle of pressure and praise means put pressure on what you don't want and you just always come back to those first principles and to make your own decision in your own situation, you go, shit, I've actually got to put pressure on my deer dog while it's trying to take me to a deer. It's quite counterintuitive, but that, those principles are, they're, they're, they're pretty much never wrong, you know. Um. Okay, yeah. sorry. David says, sorry, mate, I'm a lazy type. No, and I'm not you're all good man um i, I know what you mean and you're being on with all that stuff and it says he says yep he'll go back to part 12 yeah those updates in part 12 really have uh solved a lot of problems for people and answer a lot of questions but we're basically just going right back into that and it, it shows me um it actually shows print trying to pull away and break his range. I show you fly breaking on a deer and me using a massive command of disapproval with her in the field on deer. It shows you print see me breaking on a deer. I basically let him do it and he just sort of trots off. It's a deer down south out in the in the open. On a river, a stag runs right up to us and I we don't we don't, I don't even want to shoot it. It runs in and I'm just filming it and I'm sort of standing there having a laugh about. His stag and it's bouncing off across the river the rocks and print just sort of half-assed gets up and try and, and I just gave a quiet hiss. And he he may have not even heard it, you know. He was sort of 10 or 15 meters away and and I sort of went and he wasn't like a full-on break, he was just sort of half-assed trotting ahead with his head up, just trying to keep it in view, and just like, whoa, this is cool. And I just gave him a big command of disapproval. Print and he was like, Well, not meant to do that i not meant to chase the deer. Um, and I talk about hunting on a long line with the dog just dragging dragging a long line, um, using change of direction in the bush, and, and just all the ins and outs of, of, of um, yeah, rain in the min, man. Um, oh, I skipped a few questions from the start. Okay, go back. Sorry, mate. Um, it's not letting me open up, or can, can you throw that question in again, um, Stuart? Sorry, man. Just throw your question in again, I can't scroll right back up. Something to do with being live. I think you can open all the comments later, but I've got two computers open. I've got the one that's showing me streaming live and I've got another one that's open showing me what you guys are seeing. Sorry, Stuart, can you throw your question again? Even um, copy and paste the questions I've missed or something. Um, I've been getting a few questions about choosing dogs. People have been writing me messages. Um, How do you choose... Oh, here's um, Stuart's question. He's saying, he's having a lot of issues with his pup being, having a lot of issues with my pup being very distracted around dogs and people as well as just on walks. I've also got a calm, trained dog. Uh, I might not avail. Can you just throw it back in the comments? Um... Stuart's having a lot of issues with his pup being very distracted around dogs and people as well as just on walks. I've also got a calm, trained dog that doesn't live with me. He's with his grandparents just as a pet. I was just wondering if you might think it's a good idea to get him back for a few months to socialise with the pup. It's not a bad idea. You know, if it's a nice, calm dog, um, it can be bloody handy when you're raising and training a pup to have a nice calm older dog around people talk about oh do you use your older your older well-trained dog to train the pup and i'm not a huge fan in that it's good for things like pig hunting and you know when a dog's got to run out and really hunt and have confidence and hunt with the pack and all that sort of stuff for a big game indicating dog i'm not a huge fan on it i'd rather just do everything from scratch and 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 have the pup all about working with me not with another dog and things but for socialisation, um, proper, so well, so you know, going back to the rant that we started this with, for good socialisation, it can be nice to have a nice, calm, older dog around that one, doesn't let the pup get away with too much shit, doesn't let the pup swing off its ears and bite it around the neck and do all sorts of stuff you don't want your pup to do with all, with other dogs, Um, And also an older dog that's not going to be too grumpy either and give the pup a towel up, you know, give the pup a hiding or be too snappy or grumpy and growly. Um, And and that can be quite handy if you've got a dog-proof section or a dog-proof area raising a pup. Um, You can just put, if you've got the right older dog to just leave the pup with and just have a bit of uh, free time to relax and socialise and burn off a bit of energy and just chill out, um, not on its own, but not with you there, you know. So, so it's off the long line, running around having a bit of playtime, but it's not associating that playtime with you. So, so that older dog can, in that that separation in that good dog-proof area is a good way for the pup to wind down and relax and have that outlet. But when you step back into the picture, bang, it's back on. Control. You know what I mean? Until it's fully trained. So that's just a, a few sort of ideas thrown around on that. Um, how old's your, your pup, Stuart? TJ Willis, this was mine that was missed. Hi Paul, I picked my pup up in a few weeks. I've watched the Palmico and Blueprint videos, but I'm wondering if you have any daily schedule or a rough guide what to cover in each training session for each part of the program. Yeah. (laughs) Man. Talked about this in the Palmico Q&A. Talking about time frames and frequencies like how many stop drills should I do with my pup's 12 months old or my pup's 12 weeks old and it's at this stage so how many minutes should I be training a day and how many stop drills should I do during those minutes and how many minutes apart should they be and all of that and and the the answer is is it doesn't work like that. Most people's lives don't work like that and most dogs don't work like that and, and, and I talked about in that Palmico Q&A that we did last night. Um, it's on Facebook, YouTube, um, under Palmico. It's on, on Palmico Dog Training, all for free. Anyone can watch it there and any, anyone can watch it on the Paul Michaels Revolution podcast. Uh, listen to it on the podcast. It comes back to those principles and someone was saying, oh, I, my dog's like perfect for the first three stop drills and then it sort of turns to shit so the answer is only do two then you know because it comes back to that principle of always setting a dog up to succeed and never never setting a dog up to fail so if you find a pattern of man I can always do two but sometimes if I try to do three the pup starts getting silly and rolling around like an idiot Then just do two and just just do two for ages (laughs) you know until it's getting really solid and then i don't care if it's in a month's time then try to do oh cool i did three now but if you're making progress doing two a session then why do you need to do three anyway you know and if you can make progress doing three training sessions a week then why do seven but if you're not making progress doing three a week, maybe you need to do four or five. And every dog's different and every owner and handler's different and and every combination of dog and owner's different. So with me, I might be able to train a certain dog doing three sessions a week. Someone might have to do five sessions a week. I might have to do five sessions a week with one dog the way I train. Someone else might be able to do it in three. And that, so it's, that's why I'm always coming back to principles and that's why it's so hard to say, that's why nowhere in the blueprint it's like, okay guys, with this stage, do 11 minutes of training three times a week and do two of these drills and three of those until for for 18 days and then it's automatically all going to click over. and go, It's That's just never going to work. So it's really about sticking to all those principles, working with your pup or dog the best you can, to make as much progress as you can, without rushing or being impatient, and always thinking, well, and and it usually is going to work out this way. If you can get it, if you think you can get it done in three weeks. Relax and do it in four. If you think your dog is gonna be ready by eight months, don't start hunting till it's ten months old. You know, it's always air on the side of caution, give it more time, you know. And if it starts turning to custard after ten minutes, do five minutes of something, you know, or if it's if if, if your dog if you're only doing ten minutes. But your dog looks like it needs more exercise do half an hour and and the other thing is is different dogs change too one week for whatever reason it it might have been pissing down all weekend and your dogs are done bugger all and then you'll do a couple more, more longer training sessions Monday Tuesday but if you were busy all weekend and the dogs were doing heaps you might only do You know, none Monday, Tuesday, and the dog might just get a few freedom sessions. You know what I mean? So, um, does that make sense, TJ? Yeah, so it's really just about just trying to roughly stick to that. I'll try to get these things done in month one. And then, yeah, yeah. So TJ's just said, yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Um, but, yeah, so it's just like, okay, what's Paul up to in month one with print? And that's why later on in the blueprint, we start giving you those updates. And and I've seen a comment, and I had to laugh. <laughs> it was on a thread on a forum. And someone, it was like, and usually the only reason I see these things is because people will um, screenshot stuff or send a link to any Blueprint stuff to me, you know, and say, oh, I saw this, or here's a real cool comment about you, or sometimes it's like, here's someone slagging you off, you know, so did you have your, oh my God, have you seen this? And I'm like, nah, no, no. <laughs> But, but what I'm saying is I tend to see everything that's said about me because it just it, it all lands in my inbox one way or another I don't sort of try to uh, pay too much of attention to it myself but one guy was saying oh you can you keep going over that bloody update every time and it's driving me nuts uh, but the oh, that's the purpose of that man is that's that update that we start doing I think we start doing it in part three or four and we do it and we do it at the start, and they end up being about 10 or 15 minutes long, and I say, now we're going to go over our update. This is everything Print is doing at this stage of training before we move on to the things that we're doing in this part of the Dare Dog Training Blueprint. It's very important that your dog is doing all these things before you start. That's your marker, man. And it doesn't matter what, how old your dog is, what breed it is, how much or how little training you're doing, it's all about just getting your dog to that. So going, and that's people say, My dog's three months old. What part should I start at? And it's always start at part one. Because that your dog might be three years old. But you still have to start at the start and get those fundamentals that you don't want to start trying to do a sit drill where you're saying sit and stepping back and walking around in circles before your dog uh, has you know sits when you say sit the first part of sit is linking the action to the command and that's in part one if you watch part one and go my dog already does all that stuff sweet check out part two and if it does all that stuff go oh sweet i can do part two now move on to part three and then you see stuff in part three. Oh, my dog's not doing any of that, so I'll start there. Or there might be, your dog might be doing, you know, almost everything in part one, but there's one thing you're like, oh, my dog's not doing that, even though it's, Paul's working on that at eight weeks old, but I haven't done that yet with my eight month old dog, so I better just tidy up on that, because it's all in order. You know, good dog training is lots of very, very, Basic steps, but all in the right order and all carried out properly. Um, James, this is his question from earlier. Been doing lots of off long line training lately. My vizsla has started to indicate larger birds, <laughs> larger birds and cats while off long line. She's twelve months old. I've been using. Disapproval command, in turn command. What do you reckon? I heard Vizsla do weird indicating stuff. <laughs> she hasn't done this at all before. Yeah, so she's just getting older. Um, and and uh, dogs are just like people, man. As they age and get maturity, they start to take notice and more, you know, news. some stuff that used to be interesting becomes less interesting and stuff that used to not be interesting becomes interesting, if that makes sense. Um, and a 12-month-old visitor might be getting to the point where it's not interested in the fluffy toy laying in the back lawn anymore, but it's starting to get interested in the cat, you know, over the neighbor's fence. Um... But you, you know, like what you've said, just using the command of disapproval and turn command that, that's all you're doing, man. That's it. Um, I don't know. Are you hunting? That'd be interesting. Uh, if you're hunting or not, if you're 12 months old, you're probably right around the stage of maybe just starting, or you've just done a couple. <clears throat> There's a situation or, or a, like a dynamic that can happen with dogs, particularly hunting dogs or any dog really, is as they reach a certain age, as they reach a certain age, they really start to look for a purpose in life. No, really, and you'll you start to you just start to see it happen, and they and you know a dog just gets to a certain point, and some dogs, um, some dogs. Sorry, guys, I'm getting distracted. I keep po- comments keep popping up, and I keep checking on them. Um, I'll start again. As a dog reaches a certain age, they start to look for a purpose in life. They start to, you know, exactly like this question, it wasn't paying attention to the neighbor's cat and all of a sudden it's like eyeing up the neighbor's cat and it's eyeing up birds and it's like trying new things and it's it's just gaining intensity. It's looking for something to do. What's its purpose in life? Where is it going to channel its energy? And I've seen it I was going to say a lot, but I've seen it more than I've seen it a few times, where it's like a marked difference, where where you, I'm training a dog, big game indicating dog, and its training's going well. Starts off as a young pup, um, putting laying my foundation. I'm arriving, getting six, seven months old. It's, it's, you know, I'm I'm getting into the, the guts of it and I'm doing my introduction to gunfire and water and skin work and um, obstacle training, my range and everything's coming into getting in place and starting to tidy up. 10, 11, 12 months old, all my heels coming in. Um, Non-communicator training, attentiveness, turns, automatic stops and all of that and everything's just tidying right up and getting real good and you just start to see them Gain intensity, and 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 get a little bit harder to handle, and they're starting to be a bit of a pain in the ass. And then and then you take them hunting, and shoot a couple of deer, and give them a pat, and then you go out again, and you walk all day looking for deer, and the dogs just go, okay, this is it. You know, this is what I'm doing. This is and, and you see the dog relax again and then and then then you come you go and shoot a few deer and and that's that huge like energy outlet for the dog and you come home and now they're not interested in the neighbor's cat anymore and they don't care about the bird anymore you know because they've got other stuff to do um they know what they're meant to do and, and now you've got a dog, instead of a dog that's like constantly looking around trying to work out what it can do, where can it unleash its energy and focus and drive, you've got a dog that knows where it can do that and it just sits around waiting for the next opportunity to do that and, and if you do it right with a deer dog or a big game indicating dog, you've got a dog that's just sitting there waiting to go hunting next. And so that's, that's like all they're, that's all they're about, you know. And they're a nice pet too, and, and and there's all those other aspects to them. But that's, I just wanted to explain that the, if a dog and they get to a certain age and they start eyeing stuff up, sometimes there can be that phase where they're the getting ready to really do something in life. They don't know what it is yet. And until you shoot a few deer over them, following really all the correct practices, um, they're not going to know what the, the what their meaning of in life is until you do that. And once you do that, they go, "Sweet, I know what we're all about," and it can be a, a positive and help. Um, yeah. We're at two hours, guys. Um, Any other questions Um, from the inner circle? So one question I've had a few times is, lately, is choosing a pup. How do you choose a pup? What breed do you choose? And (sighs) I've talked about it quite a bit off and on in different plate, and it's a really common question and it's just a, co- a bit of a coincidence that I've had the same one over and over and then and then I've often had it when I haven't had time to answer it and things and um, first of all and without saying look just buy the blueprint but a big part of part 1 talks about that and it talks about breeds and how I choose my dogs and and I actually show talk about how I chose print why I chose print for, for, to train as a big game indicator dog in the blueprint and then we actually take you to the breeder to where I pick him up and I actually and he just shows it perfectly too and he print does what he originally did to cause me to choose him, and and we talk about breed, and I talk about how I like the quiet dog that stands back a bit, I've talked about this in many other Q&As, people ask me, what's a good breeder, where can I get the, where do I, what breed, where do you get your dogs, how do you, what do I do, um, <clears throat> Matt, I, I don't get involved in like telling a guy what dog to get, or what breeder to use, or what breed of dog to use. We talk about that a bit in the Blueprint, and and again, this is a subject we've talked about quite a bit. Numerous times, people like will message me, hi Paul, I got my pup a month ago, and I'm wondering what's a good time to start with the Blueprint. The Blueprint's actually ideally designed to get before you even get your pup, Um, because we talk about how to choose a dog, and we talk about... um, Different types of breeds and a lot of different ins and outs of it, you know, and, and and that's you know. Recently, we switched back, so you can buy the blueprint to own it forever. And and that was just a thing we did through feedback and different things, you know, and um. And because a lot of people look at it, it is that really long term investment. And then and and the, a cool thing about that is, and, and then I also say. It's actually ideal if you can watch the whole blueprint, like even before you even choose a putt. Like if you want to get it that look this is the ideal way of using the blueprint for me to me. Is if a guy went or a girl, <laughs> if a person uh decided they wanted to get an indicating dog. And go oh, okay i'm going to get it in a couple of months or a year or two years because you can buy the blueprint to own forever but if you brought the blueprint and first watch part one and start to understand how and why i choose my dogs and then start watching the whole training 15 hours watch the whole thing just i don't know watch half an hour Every two or three you know every two or three days it would take you a month or two to watch through the whole thing maybe watch some bits twice but right through to when we start hunting and how how I'm finishing the dog off in part seven eight nine we have a lot of people that are getting confused and frustrated and with the six-month old pup in part four they They're saying my dog's doing this how do I fix that and and then I say well it doesn't matter now because it's all in we do that in part 8 and you're not even there yet but if you had a watch part 8 um, you wouldn't be freaking out and you'd be all relaxed and your training would be going better and and if you've watched part 11 and 12 all the hunting and how we track and hunt and um, handle a dog in the field and all the different things that we're going to want to do and, and print switching from winding to tracking and, and from tracking to winding and you know everything that happens if you understand all that stuff even coming right back to understanding what sort of pup or dog you want to choose it's so much easier if you've watched that whole thing and you understand it um, like it really is so so that's you know that that's a huge bit of advice on that as as I Yeah, I I can't stress enough how useful it is and how much that would help if you have watched the whole blueprint. It's bloody long and yeah, I'll waffle on forever and ever. But training a dog isn't something that... There's no, like, three-minute answer (laughs) to it, you know? Um, There really really isn't. And... um, It's sort of the whole idea of the blueprint. But... uh, To answer the question as quickly as possible, to not just give that question of buy the blueprint and all will be revealed, you've got a few, a handful of your main breeds. I love heading dogs, love them for a dedicated big game indicating dogs. From there, there's a top sort of five or six in no particular order. German Y head pointer, German short head pointer, Vizsla, Labrador. You got your Bracco Italiano, the, the Italian pointer. Um, some guys go alright with um, Spaniels. Um, some guys go really well with English pointers. I don't think any one of these breeds, including the heading dog, none of them are the be all or end all, you know. And. Um, Every time you get a guy that's, I, oh, you know, you just, you've just, you got to get this breed and you're really just, no, you're not really taking it seriously if you get one of those and you really need to get one of these because oh, it's this and it's that and it's. <laughs> Proceed with caution anytime anyone starts saying, you know, that this is the only one or this is the only way or something like that. But, you know, th- then you get a guy that's got, or a girl, you've got a human <laughs> that has a a dog that's like, they don't even know what breed it is. It's like just some, it's just a dog that they just, the auntie had it and then they took it hunting one day and started shooting deer over and, it's just, and, and the, he sort of fluked it or he's, he knew a bit about training and he just sort of pieced it together and it's just a beast, you know, and they don't even know what it is. But it's just the right dog, the, the individual, and I've said this over and over. Getting the right individual dog and then doing the right stuff with it, is all is just a zillion times more important than the type of breed or who you get it off, you know. And you can get the best bred dog off the biggest legend on the planet. and even do the right stuff with it but if you have it's not the right individual dog for actually what you're doing you, it it might not be as good as a dog could have been had you got a dog from a from a less legendary breeder of a less legendary breed but it was just the right individual dog it was just it was right for the task you know um so there's just so much to it but but in, in in the blueprint you know we go over all this stuff all this thing was breeds and ins and outs and labs are you know labs do better in the cold but then they don't have the natural sneak and Vizzlers and gsps have an awesome natural sneak but they can struggle in the cold and wire hairs are really good but they have a ton that they can all those german pointers and dog and including vizlers can have a heap of drive and mature slower Uh, Heading dogs, for me, have a very nice spread of everything. They tend to be fairly easy to train. They tend to go all right in the cold. They're pretty hardy. They hunt pretty good. Strong eyes have a bit of a sneak. That's why I like them. Um, But another thing, really, really important, is if, if you've always wanted a Vizsla, don't get a hitting dog because I like him. That's really important, and it's with choosing a dog. This is to me, this is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing. And it's never down to one thing; it's always a combination of lots of things that you want to try to get right in line up to have the best chance of success. Arguably the single most important one of those many things is that you like the dog and that you've got the dog you wanted to get and that you're just happy with what you've got. It's really, really important. And it's nothing new. it's nothing I'm... It, any experienced dog, you ask him. It's, uh, if you know a experienced dog trainer, say to them, oh, as the guy said, do you think it's important that I like the dog I get, or it important that I get the one that the best expert tells me to get, and they'll say get, it's very important that you get the one you want to get. It's important to do it within the range of sensibility, you know. If you're trying to if you're trying to train a big game indicating dog, it's awesome to get the one that you most want to get within the realms of what is good for a big game indicating dog, which is I basically just called it out there. You know, most, most of your hunting breeds, you know, your pointers and retrievers and things and your heading dogs and a few others. But what's really important is that you get the right individual and you like it. Um, very, very important. Keith Cook, if you have limited access to areas to do firearms training, could you work on the rest of the blueprint and bow hunt the dog while slowly bringing on the firearm training? Yep. If you have limited access to areas to do firearms training, could you work on the rest of the blueprint and bow hunt the dog while slowly bringing in the fire training? Yeah, you could. It might sound funny, but I'd still want that dog to be comfortable around me shooting a bow too. I would, make, I would do introduction to bow fire. And I'd do it basically to the same extent as I do gunfire training either way i would just make sure that the dog is very very comfortable around a bow being fired because a bow still go makes a twang and it's unexpected and it it makes a hissing sound the arrow flying through the air and it's like a twang and a hiss and a thump and it's all confusing and what the hell's going on and one thing you definitely don't want to do is put all this work into training a dog and then going, oh, I don't have to do anything because I'm using a bow, and then go out and have your perfectly trained big game indicating dog locked up on its first deer and shoot a bow (laughs) whilst breathing down the back of its neck for the first time ever while it's locked up on its first deer. Don't do that. Um, Just make sure that it's not going to give the dog a fright while it's locked up on its first deer. That's all I'm saying. And make sure that there's no excitement surrounding shooting the bow that you can shoot the bow and the dog stays relaxed that if anything the dog knows that when the that's why we've trained stop to the shot it would be pretty difficult to train stop to the shot with a bow Um, but you at least want the dog to be steady with the comfortable and steady with the bow being shot otherwise there's no problem with that at all, Keith. Luke Gordon saying just start the clapper training and do firearms when you can. He's had pretty, Luke's had pretty limited time lately for actual gunfire, but heaps of clapper training and then when I've been able to shoot with him, he's been sweet ass, and that's really good advice too um, from Luke there, Keith. Heaps of clapper training, man, and just rip into it. Big loud claps, you know. Do you stop to the shot with the clapper. Heaps of clapper and then bit of gunfire when you can and you you should get on top of it all pretty good. Yeah, and Keith said, thanks Luke. I'd be able to take it to the range and expose it to the noise as a distraction. I could do firearms once a month or so at a farm and that that's probably going to be enough to get your job done. Go real heavy on the clapper. Double check your firearm stuff. Make sure you've hit all your markers before you start hunting, and you'll be sweet. Um, oh, I'm gonna shut it down, guys. Um, yeah. Thanks for all the questions. Um, thanks to everyone that's that's, you know, brought the blueprint and followed big game indicating dogs, or commented, or sent me a cool message, or just yeah thanks Thanks all round. Um, the I'm really stoked this this big game indicating dogs inner circle is really cool and, and it's awesome how um, you guys are, are looking after the, the new people coming in starting to train really good you know and there's been a couple of times when I've literally been like man and I haven't had time to look at the inner circle or answer questions for a, a few days and then I've seen a new post and I've gone. Oh no! I better. I'm late answering this. And I read the comments, and there's like 18 comments, pretty much saying like what I would have said anyway. It's really cool. And it, it's all sort of um, been part of the vision right from the start. Um, you know, I think the blueprint's about three years old now, and in and, and the whole time, I had the the vision of making the blueprint, getting it solid, getting a heap of guys following it, getting that real good foundation um and starting the general dog training series which has ended up being Palmico Dog Training the Palmico Dog Guide and now that's taking a heap of our time and work um on that but there's such a solid foundation in Big Game Indicating Dogs, the blueprint and, and all of the awesome people that have followed it already that it's it's sort of all got, got it gaining its own momentum you know and, and um that's another big big part of doing these podcasts and Q&As and just really trying to stay on top of it and, and keep all the information and, and answers there for people coming through, you know. Um, and and sort of as more people sign up, we're getting more, more of a following and more questions and I'm doing more and more other stuff. It's all that's just going to get more important, you know. So... Um, yeah, another huge thanks to um, all the people that put into the podcast fund. Everyone you, everyone knows who they are, but um, for the listeners that might not know, um, there's actually this, this podcast and starting that, starting this and all the gear here, and um, that was a huge part of starting that was all through the followers, and we did a give a little fund, and um, I didn't even think, anyone would want to put into it but everyone did and um, within no time we had like over three thousand dollars raised in donations to get all this gear so we could do live Q&As like this and start a podcast and um, it's just all good stuff um, so yeah if anyone wants to if anyone's listening or watching on Facebook or YouTube or listening on the podcast paul michael's revolution podcast and you want to check it out um big game indicating dogs on facebook and instagram and youtube um if you're a dot com sort of a person big game indicating dogs.com everything's there the blueprint's there there's a few articles and videos a whole bunch of information the trailer for the blueprint explaining a lot of that stuff and um if you if you want to take that step and actually purchase the blueprint, it's all there as well. Um if you're listening to this and you're not into hunting but you're interested in, in learning more about dog training, we also have Palmico Dog Training and the Palmico Dog Guide. And Palmico Dog Training is basically all the exact same idea, but it's for just anyone that wants to train a pet, you know, and um it's sort of been something we've been working towards for a long time too we've, we've got a lot of work in on that now the Palmico dog guide's got 45 or 50 videos in it and we're adding a lot more to it it's it's very similar to the blueprint with the whole heap more on top and um we also had the Palmico in a circle we have live q a's it's basically just um Doing the whole thing all over again, but for non hunters, just for people that want to understand dogs, train dogs better, and just have a good dog. Um, it's got no bad habits, easy to have around, that you have a good relationship with, that stays out of trouble and doesn't get hurt and doesn't get bad habits, and it's all a positive thing with no dramas and issues, is kind of what it's all about, really. Giving the dog a dog the best life possible. Just want to touch on this, don't want to be a bloody debbie downer right at the end here, but Chris, a bit of sad news in today, Chris Morris's dog um, had a big mishap last night, Chris Morris is um, following the Deer Dog blueprint with Doug, Doug's a young GSP and um Something went wrong last night and Doug got out of his enclosure and had a had an altercation with the older dog. Something went wrong last night with little Doug and he's had a big mishap and he's hurt and he's pupped down. Um, and he's in getting x-rays and all that sort of stuff and and so we're sort of think thinking about doug for sure hoping that he's going to be all right it was like super stoked and chris and his partner were posting all the time and he's training and how good training's going and they're posting on instagram and it was epic and then today we're like oh no doug's man down so we hope he pulls through we hope it's you know, not as bad as it sort of initially looked. And, um, yeah, I don't sort of want to use it as an example or sort of call Chris out or, you know, in a, in a bad time, but it's all just a reminder of be bloody careful, you know, and how important really good kenneling is and in, in, in dogs don't get beat up and run over and learn bad habits when they're locked up in a kennel. Um But no matter how careful you are, every now and again, you know, shitty stuff happens. So hope Doug's all right. Hope he pulls through. Yeah, sort of waiting to hear news on that, actually. Two more comments. Yeah, haven't really heard back. But our thoughts are with Doug and Chris and Chris's partner. Apologies, I, I've forgotten. I can't remember Chris's partner's name off the top of my head. But, yeah, they were just amping on it. Chart, like doing heaps of training and just like real good vibes. Just posting all the time. And Doug's going really well. and just super stoked on it. Like real cool crew. Um, oh, we've got more comments. We've got an update. I've got an update. Is this right now? This is two hours ago. Update on Doug. Hey team, bit of an update on my Wee Man. I.e. Doug. He's not great, but it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom either. Fractured cheekbone, muzzle end, and small fractures near the rear. This is the worst bit bone wise they thought his jaw was dislocated but after a reassessment it's not which is great his wounds have been flushed and drains put in and there is a little concern over his eye due to swelling but they can't assess it time will tell the the surgeon thinks he's young and he will heal well and fast He's staying in overnight and maybe home tomorrow, depending on how he goes. Feeling so much better knowing we still have him. So it looks like, it looks like Doug's going to be all right. That's good. And now we're talking about how much is it going to cost to fix them up. Um, and and the bearded bushman, who was a a massive, um, you know, follower of the blueprint, everything straight away, could, like how much of a good bastard is this? He was saying, well, if Doug needs massive vet bills, if if um, if Chris is in any doubt on, on, you know, whether they can cover that. Um, Jonathan Griffith, the bearded bushman, was like, well, let's do a give a little and raise money to to help Dugout. Which just shows the sort of um, community we've got going on with big game indicating dogs. It's really, really cool. Um, but anyway, yeah, so keep us in t- up to date with that, Chris, and... Um, and yeah, let us know what happens there. If you need a hand with anything, there's there's sort of people in the um, there's people in the in a circle and in, in our crew that, that are willing to do whatever it takes to help you man do whatever we can. Um, Yeah, might not have seen Chris's partner's name, but she's Koru Huntress on Instagram. K-O-R-U underscore Huntress. And they're just always... And, and Chris is Manawatu hunter. And they're just always hunting. just going hard the whole instagram is just like smiling faces in the bush that's pretty cool sweet it's that's me thanks a lot guys we'll talk soon